Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'll be reading from Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will build it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God, our Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us together here today. And I, I ask that you be ready for Dr. Scott as he brings us our message, and we'll be blessed with what he has to say. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Oh, good morning. Uh, th this is the time when the children can be dismissed. But it's a, a joy to be here. Um, thankful for the opportunity to come up uh, to this area of the country. Uh, it's good to get um, time in with Marty. And uh, again, we go back about 15 some years. Uh, when he was a student and I was uh, doing some teaching up in Boston at the time. But it, it's been a wonderful time of uh, fellowshipping with the, both churches uh, and leadership in both churches. And just trying to um, encourage uh, as they think through the area of discipleship. That's what counseling is. We're all counselors. It's just how good is our counsel. Uh, and so we're just trying to help people uh, disciple one another, care for one another, as Aaron mentioned. Uh, Aaron, you mentioned uh, what the winner gets, <laughs> but you didn't mention what the loser gets. Um, what, does the lo what happens to the loser? Oh, they might lose their pumpkin. Oh, okay. As long as they're not standing anywhere near it. Well, it is, uh, again, a joy to be here. And I think a lot of us are thinking about change. Uh, change is uh, on everyone's mind. We Politically, we'd love to see some change. But, you know... Um, we all come every time we meet together and we're wanting to change. Uh, we're wanting our hearts to change. We want people around us to change. Uh, when I think about counseling, discipleship counseling, people come because they want change. They don't come and say, I, I want help. My problem is I just want everything to stay the same. Uh, we're always wanting change. And so this morning, I picked a text that talks about lasting change. 
I don't want just change of circumstances. You know, it's just, uh, we want change that's going to last. And so if you'll turn to the letter of Titus in the New Testament, this is a letter of Paul to one of his sort of disciples, uh, Titus. Uh, he left him on the island of Crete to set up uh, churches and bring leadership to the various churches there. And so Timothy was over in Ephesus, Titus was on this island of Crete. And this was a, a difficult place to minister uh, on the island of Crete. You talk about change. Let's look and see what uh, the whole opinion of, uh, I can imagine we're going to have something flying around here. We probably want to see some change. Uh, as long as it doesn't land, we're all right. But uh, one of the things that um, was well known in the whole time Mediterranean culture there, around all the different countries, about this island, they had a reputation. So the people on this island had a reputation. So let's take a look at it. It's in chapter 1, uh, down in verse uh, 12. It says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How about a reputation like that? Uh, they even had a phrase in doing some uh, looking at words that were used even about that time. There was a term uh, that was to be a, a to creedize. It was from this island, and it went everywhere. So if someone said, "Well, you're you're creedizing," that means you're lying. Uh, so they just had a reputation. They were a bunch of liars and lazy gluttons. And so Paul leaves Titus there, set up the churches, uh, see change among these people. Well, that's some, some pretty drastic change was needed. Uh, and it's not just for them. It's for, for all people ever since Genesis chapter 3. But I want to read the passage. And he's, um, this passage is right on the tail end of changes that had happened in these people's lives. The older men were changing into Christ-likeness. This uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, talk about the older men. They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Uh, older women were to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, they urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I'm going, this is a different kind of character than what they were known for. Change had happened in their life and was continuing to happen. And here's the reason why. And we're going to pick up at verse 11. This is the explanation of why the change had happened and was still happening. The word for, in verse 11, if that's in your translation, can be also be translated because. It's the reason. The reason for all what's happened above. And here it is. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous uh, for good works. Sometimes, the, especially when you're reading uh, theology and the study of God and study of uh, various doctrines in Scripture, you'll hear the words justification, sanctification, and glorification. Well, that's what's being talked about in these four verses. Those three major doctrines of being justified by faith alone, sanctified, being trained to be more like Christ, and then Christ soon return, and we'll all be glorified when Christ comes back. He doesn't use those words, but that's the gospel in these four verses. So I want us to take a look this morning at three foundational truths for lasting change. There's three foundational truths for lasting change. So verses 11 through 14, and the first one is in verse 11, the first foundational truth for lasting change. It's actually eternal change, is that God's grace saves. God's grace saves. You see it right there in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's the grace of God. When you think of the word grace of God, it can be referring to two different things. Uh, Dr. George Knight, in his pastoral epistles, he writes this. God's grace can be used in the broad sense of God's favor on undeserving man. So God's stooping down to help the helpless. Broad, broad use of God's grace. We need that every day. We're, we're weak, we're helpless, we need the Lord's grace. Or it can refer to one segment of that activity. And here it is referring to one segment of that God stooping down, and it's referring to the incarnation of Jesus, of Christ. He took on humanity at the incarnation. And that's what's referred to here. The grace of God has appeared. Christ came to earth to save, to seek and to save those who were lost. You go, well, what's the problem here? Well, here's the problem. Men are sinners. Mankind has sinned ever since Genesis chapter 3. Here's the problem. Let me read it. Titus 3, verse 3. Just look down a few verses. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. The word addictions today. We say, oh, he's an addict. That's what it's referring to. Slaves. Enslaved to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. There's the condition of man apart from God's grace. Ever since Genesis 3, that's the condition. That's the heart condition. And you go, you, you want to see that? Well, look in the mirror if you're unsaved. But read the news. Uh, I mean, when you're reading the news today, that's Titus 3.3 being lived out. Just disobedience, addictions, malice, hating one another. I mean, it's just 
That's our world that we live in. That's the problem. We all once were unsaved. There may be some here today who are still in that condition. So we were, the Bible says we were unrighteous. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags in Isaiah 64, 6. We're, un, we're unable to work our way to heaven and be accepted by God. All our works are like filthy rags. There's no one good, no not one. We're even unable to understand spiritual things or even do what God wants. Unless there's change that happens. And we were separated from God and alienated in our lost condition. We had no power over sin and under God's wrath. And here's the solution. This is change that comes from outside in. Because inside we had nothing that we could do to change ourselves. So this is God offering change from outside in. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men. So it's outside in. This is Titus 3. I read verse 3, but look at verse 4 of chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's outside in. That's the change. That's man's greatest need right there. It's not need for self-esteem and have their felt needs met. Man's greatest need is to be reconciled with God through faith in Christ, to have their sins forgiven, to have this salvation that Christ came to give and to experience that. That's the solution. It's from outside in. Uh, this is the incarnation and it's lasting change. It's eternal change. And you think in, in this was wrought by the, uh, the Word of God as it was preached, and the Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ, and then in that resurrection power, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, is in us now. It, it takes a heart of stone, turns it to a heart of flesh. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, it says, And you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Well, that's life. That's resurrection power kind of life. You remember Paul saying, Oh, that I may know Him, Christ, and the power of His resurrection. That's change from outside in. You don't come up with this. All of the secular theories and psychologies of today, there are about 500 of them, they're all like rooms on the Titanic. Like rooms on the ship of the Titanic. They're all different therapies. They all move around and you can go shop at that one and man says this and man says this. They're all based on evolution. So they get man wrong to begin with. So if you don't understand man from the beginning, you're not going to get the solution right with man. 
And they're all just, maybe some of the therapies are better than others, but you're all going up a deck up on, on the Titanic. It's all going down. There's no hope in man's wisdom. None. This is divine help from above for a man who can't help himself. This is the gospel. And this is the lasting change that God came to bring through Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. And you go, for all who? This isn't universalism. Not everybody is saved. No, uh, if you look at Titus chapter 1, it does talk about the elect. He says here in verse 1 of, of chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So now you're talking about people that God has chosen, the Father has chosen before the foundation of the world, and He's drawing them to Himself. So salvation is for those who will believe in Him that God the Father draws uh, to Himself through faith in Christ. It could refer to them. It also could refer to all people groups that he just mentioned in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. He brought salvation for those older men, for older women, for younger men, for younger women. And he addresses slaves and uh, masters in that whole context as well. He brought salvation for all people groups. But he did come to seek and to save those who were lost. And aren't we thankful for this first foundational truth of lasting change as it comes from outside in. He's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't seek him on our own. Man doesn't seek after God. No one seeks after God. Romans chapter 3 tells us that. You go, well, I think there's people out there looking for God in nature and the sun God. Oh, they're, they're, they are looking for a God. No one's seeking after this God. The God Almighty, the creator of this world, he seeks us. He comes after us. And are we, we're just humbled by that. The gospel itself humbles us. Because we don't deserve this kind of goodness and grace of God towards us. So first, lasting truth of lasting change is change comes from outside in in the form of salvation. Christ came to give and be that sacrifice to take our sin and to put his righteousness to our account. If we will trust and believe in Him. Takes away our sin, and He gives us His perfect life. Christ's perfect life is put to our account. Uh, and that makes us acceptable then to God through faith in Christ. Now the second foundational truth is in verses 12 through 14. So Titus chapter 2, here's the second foundational truth for lasting change. And that is God's grace trains us. You see in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And the same grace of God, Christ, trains us, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He explains that a little bit more down in verse 14. Uh, about Christ, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. 
Now this is, this is change now for his own, his children, from the inside out. For the first uh, uh, truth was God changes us from the outside in, salvation. Now we're talking about sanctification. This is change from the inside out with the uh, help of the Spirit of God. A couple of times uh, I've heard uh, your pastor Aaron uh, quote Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing this, that it is He who works in us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. So we're cooperating with the Spirit, but He's working in us. We don't do this alone. This is a cooperative training exercise here. If you're in Christ, He is training you. And it's an ongoing, the verb tense here is, is ongoing. This training isn't a, an event. It's a lifelong process of training, often referred to as sanctification. Now, you have to be really careful with this one because you'll meet people today who say, no, you know what, I'm not changed. I don't need to uh, do anything. Um, I don't have to let go of certain activities in my life. I can just stay the way I am because God just accepts me the way I am. I don't know if you've heard this, but this has become quite popular in our, quote, self-esteem culture. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book on whole gospel, the whole Christ, I mean, he says there is a secular false gospel out there of self-acceptance. And he says it goes like this. You'll hear people say, since God accepts me the way I am, I ought not to get straightjacketed by the law of God. What God wants is that I just be myself. Another statement from this kind of false gospel is this is just how I am. God is gracious, and He accepts me the way I am, and therefore I will remain as I am. Well, that's not what we're reading here. The grace of God that saves you will be the grace of God that changes you, to train you to be more like Christ. Uh, Dr. Ferguson says this, it's misleading to say that God accepts us the way we are. God really accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake. Nor does He mean to leave us the way He found us, but to transform us into the likeness of His Son. Without any transformation going on in someone's life, and the new conformity of life, we do not have any evidence that we were ever His in the first place. People who say they're Christians and aren't changing from the inside out have no reason to believe that they were saved in the first place. The grace that saves is the grace that changes people to be more like Christ. Amen? I mean, that's, and I'm not saying it's easy. And we're going to talk about some of the resources. But the grace that saves is the grace that transforms into Christ's likeness. And that's what's being said here in verse 11. Christ who saves is Christ who trains us. And he uses the Spirit of God to do that. Now, here's two directions. Um, it says we're supposed to be renouncing something and we're supposed to be putting on something. So Christians 
those who put their faith and trust in Christ receive that first change of salvation. Now we're in the second foundational truth of the training process. The word train is the same word that's used in Ephesians 6.4, where bring up the, your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, or in the instruction or discipline of the Lord. The word discipline is the word train. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. It involves structure, involves um, correction, it involves rewards, blessings for doing what's right. So the Lord is sort of our coach. He saves us and now He's sort of coaching us. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's not just the author. He's also involved in helping us. And the Spirit of God is in us, and He's taking us to be like Christ. So two directions. We're supposed to put off something. First, it says, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness is sort of at the root. It's a lack of fear of God, a lack of godly reverence. That's ungodliness. And we live in a, a world that's like that. And worldly passions is more the fruit. Those are the desires that characterize the world. And so we're supposed to be renouncing ungodliness and the various passions that come out of that. And not just say no, but by God's Spirit we're saying yes. You don't break habits. I can remember uh, one of the leaders in the area of the biblical counseling movement, Dr. Jay Adams. He would say, you don't break habits. The Bible never says break habits. You replace them. If you're always trying to say no to something, you're going to end up doing it. And it's true. Uh, for years after I was a professing believer in Christ, I was trying to say no to certain lusts in my life. Oh, boy, I don't want to do that. Boy, I don't want to do that. And I end up doing it. Because this training process is fix your eyes on Christ and start doing what He wants and make no provision, right? The, the scripture says make no provision for your flesh. But it, all these support groups, for the most part, are all trying to say no to things. That's a 90 degree turn. And the Lord has taken us into a 180 degree turn. He's not wanting us to stop something. He's wanting us to replace it. And so he says, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then he says, now here's what you need to put on. He says, now live. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So self-control is for all of God's people. That's in your own life, to be self-controlled. One author said, self-control is the ability to see a godly goal and then choose that goal over and against all competing desires. Well, it, it's, we need the Spirit of God. That's a, that is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. But you say, Lord, this is what pleases you. Your Word says this. I have all these competing desires to not go in that direction. But your Spirit can help me to say no to the competing desires and to say yes to what pleases you. We have the power of the Spirit of God to do that. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in His children. No excuse to give in to sin.
So that's self-control. And then uprightness towards other people. That just means you have integrity with people. You're truthful to them. You just have integrity. And you're fair. And then godly lives. And that just means well-devoted to God kind of a perspective towards God himself. This isn't a list of things to do. This is a lifestyle of I just want to be well-devoted to the Lord. So, renouncing ungodliness, worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, specifically, how do we do this? What resources does God give us to actually accomplish this training, this change from the inside out? Well, we have the whole Trinity working for us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work in us. For us, namely the resident member of the Holy Spirit is in us. So much so that when you read Romans 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit's mentioned three times in all seven chapters in respect to our salvation. When it comes to our sanctification, how do I live this Christian life? Chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Rather significant. By the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. You go, oh, well, I think we'd have to pray without ceasing if that were the case. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we're just, it's dependent work. The Puritans called it holy sweat. Is you just, we can't live this, this training kind of life, saying no, renouncing things, and let's live this way for Christ without the Spirit of God. We're so dependent on His enablement. And the Holy Spirit won't draw attention to Himself. He'll be pointing to Jesus. He'll always be pointing to Christ who we're being conformed into His image. So you, God's at work. He gives us His Word. This is His main tool of helping us to train us. You go, well, how much time does the average Christian put in reading and studying God's revealed will for the day. Very little on average. LifeWay, the Southern Baptist Association, did some researching and they sent out surveys and this came out a few years ago. And it was only about 20% of the surveys that came back where people read the Bible once a day. Like 20% of all the surveys. There were 20% that don't ever read the Bible. And there are 20% or 40 or something like that that read the Bible once a month. That's like spiritual anorexia. I mean, they're self-starving themselves. This is our food. This helps us to know Christ, to become like Him, to know His will. And people aren't really spending time in the Word all that much. Now, the exception would be you all. Right, I mean, but... Think about that. Just think about how much time am I used? This is sanctify them by thy truth, thy word's truth. If we're not in the word, reading it, meditating on it into application, the training will be hindered. It'll be minimal. Minimal change. That's why you find some Christians, they're like 20 years old in the Lord, but they look like they're two, spiritually speaking. Because it's just not, they're not in the Word, they're not feeding on God's Word. But then when you look at the national stats on social media, time spent on social media and on entertainment, they're hours and hours and hours every day. 
on social media. The average teen spends nine hours on social media. And that's not TV. That's uh, average adult now is about four hours on social media. Now think about that. And hardly anyone's reading the Bible. Well, it's going to show. It's going to show there's not much changing going on in there. A lasting change from inside. And I'm not on any campaign against social media or entertainment. I'm just saying, I think we can cut back on some uh, on this direction and really start upping the, the time in the Word of God. It's not just to read the Word. It's to know Christ. He's revealed in the Scriptures. So we want to get to know Him. And prayer is going to be very important as well. And lastly, one of the means of growing and changing, training us, is the local church. And you all are here today. This is God's greenhouse for you to grow. You're not going to grow. Just you and Jesus alone somewhere. It takes the body of Christ, all of the one anothering, the giftedness and the corporate gathering uh, that helps us to grow and change. There's more you plurals in the Bible than you singular. It's y'all. Uh, I like that from being down south. But it, it, you get that. These are the resources that God uses to help us to change and grow. So you have God's grace saves us. That's outside in. Then you have God's grace trains us. That's inside out. Renouncing, putting on. And lastly, here comes some permanent change. Christ's grace, or the grace of Christ, returns and rescues us. Right there in chapter 2, verse 13, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. That's, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1, the Spirit tells us there is the group of Christians there in Thessalonica, and this is what it says about them. In chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols. Think about that with the, the catechism today in Exodus. Uh, you they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Not period, but a comma. And to wait for His Son from heaven. To wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's changed from the outside again, coming in to rescue His children, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. So this is grace from, again, outside for permanent change. And it could happen today. That's the point of the passage. The imminent return of Christ. It could be today. When's the last time you thought about Christ's return? I have to confess, there are days, sometimes maybe even weeks, I don't think about it unless I'm reading it. I don't think about every day. This could be the last day here. Christ could return. There's nothing to stop Him from coming. And that is, has to be on our mind every day. 
that, that's permanent change. He, uh, we'll be with Him. We'll see Him as He is, our Savior and Lord. One of the Puritans, his name was Richard Baxter, uh, in his um, young years, I say young, I'm in the 60s, and he was 32, and he was given three months to live. Uh, he had a lung infection, which was common around London. A lot of people were dying, mortality rate, people died, and they didn't usually last, uh, live much longer than 30. So it was a high mortality rate, and a lot of children died. So he was given three months to live with this infection. So he said, he was a young pastor, he, uh, he said, I'm going to take my Bible, I'm going to take a lot of paper and ink, and I'm going to go out and I'm just going to write down everything I can find about heaven and the Bible, because I'm going to be there in a couple months. And I just, I just want to know where I'm going and everything God says about us. So he went out to a farmhouse and he started reading everything about heaven, taking notes. Uh, later, it became published. Uh, his, all his writings, and it's called The Saint's Everlasting Rest, was the name of the book. It was a hot seller. It went through several printings because people were dying and they wanted hope and lasting change past living here on this world and this earth. Well, Richard Baxter writes in a biography that he just said, from age 21 on, I'm, I was seldom free, an hour free from pain. Uh, some have said he was a virtual museum of diseases. He just had one problem after the other, uh, physical health issues from 21 on. So 32, three months to live. He didn't die at 32. Richard Baxter lived till he was 76. I'm sure the doctor died. We told him he only had three months to live. But Richard Baxter concludes in all 500 pages of reading about heaven, he said there's one thing very clear. If you, God's children, are not heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. You've heard the other one, haven't you? He's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. It's the opposite. It's really the opposite. If we aren't heavenly minded, we're going to be just like our hopeless neighbors, people who are like, whoa, look at the country, everything's going down, and we'll be moaning and groaning just like everyone else. This is our hope. This is our blessed hope, Christ's soon return. And this is for a permanent change. This motivates us to be pure. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. This motivates us, lastly there in verse 14, to be zealous for good works. The Thessalonians weren't waiting on the rooftop for Christ to return. They were busy doing what God had called them to do. But as they were busy, they were eagerly waiting for Christ to return. That's the way we have to work as Christians. We're busy, zealously loving our God, loving our neighbor, serving, looking for ways to serve, but we're not forgetting Christ could come today. That's lasting change. Salvation from outside in, the training process of sanctification, and then Christ's soon return. Three foundational truths for lasting, permanent change. I pray that even this morning as I'm uh, looking out at several men and women sitting here, 
I know that a lot of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so you have received this wonderful gift of eternal life. Uh, this whole new heart, a heart of stone has been uh, replaced with a heart of flesh, responsive to God, adopted, sealed in Christ. Uh, so you're in Him, and now it's a training process of renouncing and living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in Christ, and relying on the resources God has given us, and eagerly waiting for Christ's return. But there may be some here who say, I'm, I'm, I haven't done that. I remember as a teenager, I grew up in a home with Christian parents, and I heard the gospel all my entire life, and I'm, every camp I went to, every Friday night, I made numerous decisions for Jesus, but I wasn't converted. I was just emotional, kind of a decision, a, a, a just felt like I, uh, I felt guilty over my sin, but I didn't put my faith and trust in Christ alone, die to self, and now live for Christ. It just didn't happen until I was 18. So I had numerous decisions for Christ, but I just kept living for myself. After every camp, every, every time of these, quote, decisions, it was, it was all about me. I wanted to add Jesus to my life, not die to myself, and let Christ live in my life. Big difference. Christ calls you to come die so that you can live. It's not adding Jesus to your life. If you lose your life, you'll gain it in Christ. So we're all wanting change. This is the best change. This is lasting change. This is change that God brings and offers. I pray that we would be encouraged. Um, those in Christ would be encouraged, not just in the training process, but also in the fact that Christ is soon to come and change us permanently uh, for, his, for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Just an opportunity to minister Your Word to Your people. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here who's has never even received the first gift of eternal life, that, Lord, they would humble themselves and really cry out to you for mercy, for you to save their soul, for your glory and for their eternal good. For all of your children here, just a good reminder of this change process, that you won't obey for us, but you will help us and renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, and you will help us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And Lord, we are looking forward to Christ's soon return, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, even if it's today, Lord, may we be walking faithfully, dependently, with our eyes fixed on Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.